Welcome to Man Pepper, a baseball podcast, episode seven, coming in hot with your hosts, Jake and Chris. Up now. What's going on? What is up, my dudes? What's up, Jake? What's up, man? First off, I had to wear a little. There you go. You see that? How do you like it? Oh, man, a little Jake, Jake the, the Snake, Snake Roberts. Love it. For the fans out there, throwback 90s, early 2000s wrestling. You always love the tanks, man. I didn't know you had a Jake the Snake one, so that's perfect. You're a tank guy. I just got four new ones because it's fitting. Today it was like 97 degrees. Yeah, can we talk about that, dude? I'm sitting in my house all day sweating. <laughs> like, So I'm in the Northeast. You're in Charlotte. And it's like summer just arrived out of nowhere. Like We didn't have a spring. So it went from like 50 degrees to like 85 and, and humid. And I don't know about you, man, but like I work from home. I know, I know you do too. So I'm home alone all day. Kids are at school. My wife's at work. And no matter if it's in the winter, how cold it is, or in the summer, how hot, like I'm not trying to use the AC or the heat. So like it's, nope. just, a, it's just a competition. So today I'm just sweating, working. <laughs> <laughs> Purposely saying... I have an issue with my camera. I can't go on camera. Sorry, guys. Just voice today because you're just dripping sweat. <laughs> Without a shirt on, too. Just sitting there, just <laughs> drenched. Oh, my God. It did go, dude. Seriously, 10 days ago, even down here, it was like 45 degrees. And then it was 90, I think up to 95 or 96 or whatever. But sun's out, gun's out. That's why we got the tank going. The tank's actually more fabric than you have at times. Sometimes you go less than tank. <laughs> I mean, we could leave that to the viewers or the listeners' imagination. But... uh I've been known. I've been known. Less material, the better. All right, man. On tap tonight, per the usual, what we're drinking. We're going to quick hit fantasy, uber quick. The little baseballisms and, you know, highlight player, whatnot. And then we have a really good guest, uh, someone you played ball with, Andrew Albers, uh, former major leaguer. And, you know, he talked about his journey. The journey doesn't seem like it's over. Yeah, super excited about that. So let's, uh, let's get through this stuff quick and get to Andrew. What are you drinking? So, Jake, you've inspired me. We've talked about it. I've got my own beer bowl today. <laughs> Just a green, a green bowl. dish. <laughs> yeah. You know, probably probably is used for like some fruit or maybe like rice or something. I don't know. But I got a beer bowl. So I'm going with McLady's, which I thought you actually might like the name of that beer. It's by Zero like Gravity. It. It's only 3.2%. So kind of just like some delicious water and perfect for when you're drenched sweating in your own house. And if I get through that, Jake... When is the last time you have seen the banquet oh. beer? In the tiny little little stubby bottle. Oh yeah. my god. Is it a pop top too? I'm gonna have to pop it. Yeah, a little pop top. Core's original. So I feel like this whole beer thing is gonna keep going off the rails, but I love it. So <laughs> what do you got? That's awesome. So you inspired me with your sour. I'm going with uh Cabarrus Brewery. So that's the town or the county I live in. Cabarrus Brewery has their special release sour drop, uh, sour ale. And it's only 5.3, so it's not too bad. I did just come off uh, a weekend where out of 48 hours over the weekend, I was drinking for 24 of them. Turtle power, big Rick got married. So I really don't feel like drinking a beer tonight, but I'm gonna I'm gonna suck it up and have this one. That's this is an easy one. It tastes like lemonade. I think you'll be all right, but yeah, I'm sure that that was a fun filled weekend. <laughs> it, was, it was good. Yeah. All right, so, dude, fantasy real quick. I lost my bet. I threw a bet down with uh, with uh, Amberry, 20 bucks. Yep. I lost 64. Not too happy about it. Pitching is imploded. This is going to be a rough season, I think. It's not looking good early on. So I'm still hanging in there, but whatever. Yeah, 
A tough, tough week for you. No side bet for me this week. As I said last week, I tried to make one with Moberg. He said no wisely. So I did beat him. Only six to four, though. He made it close at the end. But I am solo first place. So we're going to tr- try to keep it going. Yeah. Fuck you and your stupid closers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. When we were talking about what we should actually uh, hit on from a baseball standpoint, like legit baseball, I think we both saw this and had flashbacks. Anthony Rendon of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, however the fuck you say it, whatever. He hit a lefty bomb off of Brett Phillips, a position player, in a blowout. And for all those baseball fans out there, Anthony Rendon is not a lefty. He hits righty. And he absolutely crushed, tattooed a ball. Everyone who's watching it, me and you, I mean, everyone were texting around like, holy shit, that's awesome. It's hilarious. That's impressive. But you were on Twitter, man, and you saw some things where people were like, oh, it's not impressive. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. just, just, there's so many angles we can go with this. But like, what, what the hell is wrong with people? Yeah, I mean, let's start with, like you said, he's a righty. He's never hit lefty in the major leagues, to my knowledge. Granted, position player pitching, it was probably like a 70-mile-an-hour semi-ethos, semi-curve. I don't care. Dude, he's, uh, he's not a left-handed hitter. He hit a ball to no. right center field gap, probably like 390. So impressive. I'm sorry. Like, I saw that highlight, and I was kind of going nuts. Even if like he hit a double in the gap, that would be awesome. But you're one at bat probably in your career. You switch sides and you go deep. That's incredible. Um, and yeah, so like I'm, I'm on Twitter. And of course, like those Twitter trolls are out there commenting on the video. Like, it's not impressive. It's a, it's a position player. Like, call me when he hits 95. And it's like, these kids are sitting on their you know sofa, probably can't even hit a ball off a tee. And they're saying that it's not impressive <laughs> that this guy is, hits freaking lefty bombs. Says a lot about what's wrong with the world. <laughs> just let's just be happy. Can we just be happy? I know. I mean, and honestly, so like they won that game like 15 to four or something. There's just like a massive blowout. And Brett Phillips for the Rays always comes in and pitches for them when they blow out. Like he's already pitched like three times this year as a position player. And it just took me back, man. Like when we used to take BP, I'm a righty, but I would, you know, try to, you know, finagle my way way in with the coach and be like, hey, let me jump over lefty. I want to take a few hats. Yes. Take a massive leg kick. And like BP, you know, I could get into some. I I don't know if I ever, maybe I hit one out before, but. That's BP. Anthony Rendon wasn't taking BP. He was in a game. This counted. Yeah. And he launched launched the pitch. So even if he does it in BP but like I used to do, again, you should be happy and impressed. So like, fuck, dude, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, why can't we just agree that hitting in the major leagues, the opposite side of your natural hitting, if you hit a home run, that's a cool thing. We don't have to put it down. Let's just unite on this one. I mean, it's almost a miracle that he could hit a home run. Lefty being a righty like that. I'll tell you what is an actual what an actual miracle is yeah that is getting no hit and still winning a baseball game and what am i talking about i'm talking about the fucking cincinnati reds incredible <laughs> and our boy hunter green throwing eight innings of no hit ball and then proceeding to basically walk the bases loaded and the pirates beat the cincinnati reds one nothing without actually getting a hit that's a fucking miracle yeah they scored on a fielder's choice error to second base or whatever, yep. one nothing. When you when you texted me that that happened, I didn't see it like that day, you know. And I'm reading the article, just laughing. And I'm surprised that that isn't a bigger deal. Like, how was that not all over Sports Center? I know we got NBA playoffs and stuff, but like that's almost the lead to me. Losing a game on a no hitter, I've never seen that before outside of maybe Little League or something. Um, just the Cincinnati Reds are going to Reds this year, I guess. That's just <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I mean, we got no hit when we were playing at Siena. Yeah. And we lost because you get no and we lost. Like, could, could you imagine if we were no hitting someone 
And we couldn't muster up anything, not a single run ourselves, and then fucking lose. If you're those position players, let alone the pitcher who went, you know, eight innings, you should just be embarrassed. I was thinking, what's the manager saying to the players anyway? They're five and 28 or something at this point. But imagine like the next day after that game, he's like, guys, keep it up. If we if we throw a no hitter, we've got a pretty good chance we're going to win this game. <laughs> it's not guaranteed, but we've got a shot. <laughs> Some things that just, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's just a different level. It did, it, last time it happened was uh, 2008, I think I saw, with the Dodgers, and they did the same thing. Oh, man. I'm surprised that that, that even happened that recently. But The sixth time it's happened wow. uh, in, in Major League history. So I guess we're good for one every 14 years or, or whatever that math shakes out to be. I mean, that's got to be just so devastating to a pitching staff. No hits. You give up a run on an error and your offense gets nothing for you. It's just remarkable. Remarkable. And Hunter Green, man, how many times are we going to talk about him? It's like every every episode, he's like, there's something to say. But they were talking about, they're like, oh my God, he's throwing 114 pitches. This is a travesty. How could you let this young guy do it? And you're like, he was, it wasn't like, you know, there's a difference between like a, like a hard hundred pitches. And one where the guy's just throwing pitches, but he's not laboring. And he wasn't. I mean, I watched the highlights and was catching that game a little bit. He was he was kind of cruising. And yeah, he was walking guys. But I don't know, man. People are soft now. It's probably a good topic we can maybe ask Andrew about just from his point of view. We got to stop being so dependent on pitch count, I feel like. Yeah, well, it's kind of like earlier in the season, what? They pulled Kershaw out of a perfect game, right? It wasn't even no hitter. It was a perfect game because of his pitch count. And then you've got the flip side. He's a vet. I know he's been hurt. Hunter Green's a rookie. You think they'd be even more cautious with pitch counts, but they let him go, which honestly I respect if if Green was saying like I'm good to go. Oh, I read I read an article saying like no one was talking to him because it wasn't no hitter, so probably there wasn't communication <laughs> about if he still felt good. Maybe that's a stupid uh superstition that should go away. Maybe you should ask your pitcher who's, you know, throwing 105 miles an hour and he's 22 like, "Hey, you want to go back out there?" <laughs> but uh I think he he said he kind of lost it a little, and I guess he started stretching his shoulder at one point in the seventh when they took him out. They saw he was laboring a bit, but still, bullpen comes in, does his job, no hits, one run, yeah. L. So what do you say? You want to get into uh, having Andrew? Yeah. I think that's what the people want. That's what the people want. Let's do it. All right, Jake. It's time to bring on Andrew Albers. It's my pleasure to welcome to the pod a 10th round draft pick by the San Diego Padres player with major league experience spanning five different seasons a japanese league all-star a member of the canadian baseball hall of fame and most importantly my former teammate from a glorious summer in 2006 in torrington connecticut andrew albers what's up man hey what's up guys thanks for having me thanks for coming man it's been a long time when we uh we talked to you yesterday just to you know make sure the platform worked and when you said to me yeah 16 years has been a long time i was like damn I, it has been. I just really didn't think of it that way. It's been a bit. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, a long time, long time ago. That, that's those summer ball days. Fun times, though. So wait, did you got? Have you not talked since we reached out to say let's have let's have you on? Have you guys texted at all? Maybe a message here and there. Not a lot. Like there, are a couple messages. I think you maybe you maybe slid, um, sent me something when I debuted yeah. in, in a little bit here and there. But yeah, not a whole lot. It's tough when you're Canadian, man. You don't run into people, especially my neck of the woods up here in Saskatchewan. I don't see very many of the old teammates. And unless I run into them playing pro ball and obviously with the journey, 
uh, you know, not a lot of guys I run into uh, very often. Yeah, we sent a few Facebook messages back and forth. I think when you did debut, I sent you one. But it's kind of weird, like, sitting in my position in Jake's. Like, you see former teammates, like, make it, and you're like, do they even want to hear from me? Like, am I just, like, trying to – you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, you, anyone else I've seen make it that far, have a career, like, it's nothing but, like, respect and just – a little bit of admiration, right? Like so happy to see you get that far. So definitely wasn't for not wanting, you know, to reach out. I'm glad we we're able to connect on the pod. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no question. I mean, I I appreciated the messages. It's always nice hearing from people. It, one of it's one of the ways you can reconnect every once in a while. And and again, I do a terrible job trying to stay in touch as well. So uh, for me, I always appreciate when people reach out and try to get back to them. Can't always do it, but at the same time, you know, it's always fun to hear from people. Yeah, so as I said in the intro, Andrew, so we played together in 2006, college summer ball. I've got the Torrington Twisters jersey on. Maybe we'll put this on Instagram so that people could see. But you were surprised I had this jersey, so I take it you didn't get any uh, memorabilia from our summer in Torrington. Well, not only do I not have that jersey, I don't remember us wearing black. We had orange (laughs) uh, the year I was there. I don't remember a black jersey, so I I don't know where you got that one. But no, I I think I have the hat laying around around somewhere. What, this guy? Almost (laughs) pulled my hat. Yeah, that looks about like mine. Yeah, that looks great. Oh, it's a pancake. Dude, look at this. Christ. My head has not grown since college. <laughs> that used to be black. That, that used to be a black hat. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what color color you'd call that right now, but but yeah, it used to be black. Mine's a little darker than that. Um, I think I only wore mine for one. Maybe you wore yours for two. I don't know. But So I was looking for the orange one, man. I got this black one, which maybe we had the next year because I played there for yeah. two years. And then I got a gray one, too, which I don't remember wearing that ever. So I don't know if someone, if Greg Hunt gave them to me or I stole it, whatever. But And yeah, I thought we were white and orange the year I was there, but I could easily be wrong, too. Again, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. So let's get into it. Um, You've had you had quite a journey, you know, from college. You went to University of Kentucky, right? Tenth round draft pick. Um, got hurt though, really early on in your pro career. You want to just like take us through the injury, which I think was your first year of pro ball, right? And just sort of your journey to eventually making it to the bigs with the Twins. Yeah, uh, the professional career didn't quite get started the way uh, the way you would have drawn it up. Anyways, I uh, I had a good senior year at Kentucky. My junior year wasn't very good. Didn't get drafted as a junior, so went back for my senior year. Uh, pitched a lot better as a senior. Uh, happened to go in the tenth round, as you mentioned, and my arm had felt good all year. And then, you know, I had kind of a couple weeks in between. We uh, we ended up losing out in a regional in Michigan, and uh, so we had a week or two off before I had signed and I got drafted and things like that. And so I'd taken that time off. And then when I went back and started throwing again, first time out felt great. Second time out, I remember, you know, not feeling so good and had a little twinge in my elbow and it was something that just never went away. And it was really frustrating because, you know, you go in and you get your, go to the trainers and you're trying to describe what's going on. And unfortunately they don't know you at all. And, you know, they don't know whether or not you're a guy that'll, that'll play with some pain or a guy that's, you know, just trying to feel a little bit better trying to get in the training room, making sure that, that, you know, everything's good and, and whatnot. And, you know, at that point in time, you try to stay out of the training room because there was the old saying, you can't make the club in the tub. Yep. Right. So, um, you know, that was one of the things where you tried to avoid going in there if you could. Uh, but it was just really frustrating. I'd go out and I'd try to throw and, and, you know, I'd, I'd have some pain, got some MRIs done, got some arthrograms done. They all came back negative. Um, ended up throwing, I think seven innings in rookie ball that year. Felt okay. It wasn't anything amazing. I, I was 23 years old playing against like 17, 18 year olds. So, you know, had some success, but certainly wasn't the level that I wanted to be. So kind of did like a rest rehab thing over the off season where I'd take a month off, start throwing, did that once and started bugging me a little bit. So shut it down again, took another six weeks, whatever it was off, started throwing again, 
they gave me a chance to go finish my education degree in Kentucky. So that was nice. Uh, but then started throwing and I got to about 60% off the mound and, and I started feeling it again. And by then it was spring training time. So it's kind of like, well, shoot, you know, I, I'll either go in and I'll throw till I blow it out or, or throw till it starts feeling better. Maybe I had to break up some scar tissue or something like that. I wasn't real sure what it was. Um, my first outing in spring went out, you know, made it through, had one inning. It didn't feel good, but it was like, okay, this is okay. My second time out, had two innings, got made it through the first, went out for the second, and, and it was bad. Uh, I, I managed to get through the second, but I think I gave up a laser to the warning track and left, laser to the warning track and right, and then somebody didn't get under one and hit a line drive to second. I was just like, thank God, <laughs> I, I can't throw the ball. And so I ended up going down. Originally, they were just going to do a, a scope on my elbow. And I went down and I got stress x-ray done in San Diego and, and the doctor called me into the office and literally said, hey, your ligaments open up. So we're going to do the ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction tomorrow. And, and I was like, whoa, wait, what? Uh, it's just in shock. Like, and he, he said it so matter of factly that I almost missed it. I was like, time out. Whoa, whoa. Like, you know, I, I was thinking about six weeks of rehab and all of a sudden it's nine months. And, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a shocker for me. Uh, it was obviously not the way you want to start. Rehab was a struggle. My first four months didn't go very well. Trying to get my range of motion back was brutal. Um, I actually ended up having to go in for a second surgery. Uh, to remove some scar tissue and after that it went a lot better but uh, but those first four months were tough it was getting to the point where it's like shoot you know I don't know if I was going to be able to pick up a baseball again uh, I don't know if I let alone throw just just want to be able to move my arm right you know I'd, I'd get put in a brace at night to try to get extension and then I wouldn't have flexion in the morning and go in the hot tub and crank on it and again it was kind of a daily thing and just not getting any progress and yeah really frustrating uh, but after that second surgery things went a lot better and from there it was I guess smooth sailing, you could say. And uh, that led into kind of the next spring. And uh, I remember, so I was not even quite a year out, maybe 11 months-ish. And I threw live batting practice to hitters and ended up getting released by the Padres the next day. It was one of those things where, you know, they had new ownership and I wasn't one of their guys. And at the time, you don't really understand what's going on and, you know, figured you'd at least get a shot. Obviously, as a 10th rounder, you thought you'd have a little bit of rope anyways to at least see how you're coming back from this surgery. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case with them. Um, so, you know, they released me the next day. And again, that was a shocker for me. I ended up going and playing independent ball in Quebec in 2010. At this point in my career, I was a reliever, um, had a really good season in Quebec. It was the Can-Am League at the time. I think up until about the last two weeks of the season, I had a sub one, still couldn't get out of there. Uh, as I found out later, not a league that's very easy to get out of as far as trying to get an affiliated job. Um, you know, it's not the Atlantic League. It wasn't the American Association, anything like that. So it was kind of that third or fourth tier of, of league, I guess. And I didn't realize that going into it. Um, but it was my first season of pro ball, first time really facing Wood Bass for an entire season. And again, like I said, it went really well. That kind of led to the off season. That was uh, that was certainly quite an adventure for me, anyways. And this would have been the off season of 2011. And again, had that had that 2010 season in Quebec that went really, really well for me. And uh, going into 11, it was like, hey, I'm just trying to get a job somewhere. Just just give get a, get a chance, right? And uh, I had lined up, talked to my agent. Um, he had stuck with me through it all. And, and we had lined up some open tryouts in Arizona. That was kind of the best that we could do. I figured, you know what? Andrew, is this early spring training time? Is this like early Feb? Early February. Probably okay. Okay. Right, either right when big league camps were starting or kind of just before. Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I was back home teaching in Saskatchewan. I was uh, teaching and coaching some basketball. And then throwing in the gym, you know, throwing in the gym off. At that point in time, I may have been using an archery target for a mound. I don't know if I had the step aerobics <laughs> match yet. I got better with that later on. You know, that, that turned into my new mound. But up, throwing up against cinder blocks. And it was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I better get outside a little bit, get off a real mound, maybe face some hitters before these tryouts. I wasn't quite sure what the tryouts were going to look like. 
Um, so I called my college coach and I said, look, can I, can I come down for a couple weeks and, you know, throw to some hitters, maybe throw some pens, get some catching. He's like, yeah, no, we can figure that out. So the problem was I had these live tryouts lined up in Arizona and had to find a way to get to Lexington. So I don't know what I was, 24, 25, whatever it was. I ended up popping in my car. I had some relatives living in Arizona. And I ended up popping in my car and driving down to Arizona from Saskatchewan, which was about, I don't know, I think 27 hours. I uh, left my car with my aunt and uncle in Arizona, flew to Lexington. Um, while I was in Lexington, threw a pen and my college coach asked, hey, do you want me to try to bring some guys out to watch you throw? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, obviously any exposure is good exposure. So he ended up calling an area guy from the Lexington area with the twins and a cross checker. They were, their names were Earl Wynn and Tim O'Neill. They came out and watched me throw and... If you know anything about me, I'm not a stuff guy. You know, I don't, I don't throw hard. I don't have devastating secondary stuff. I can command the baseball a little bit and, and make good adjustments. And so we got to kind of set up the tryout in a way that accentuated some of those strengths, facing guys multiple times, throwing a few innings, things like that, and, and felt like it went well. And talking to the guys afterwards, I mean, it was like, hey, you know, we like you, but don't know if there's much we can do for you, being that it was, again, right before spring training. Most teams aren't trying to expand their rosters. They're trying to shrink them, right? Were they just, Andrew, were they just kind of, you think, maybe a little hesitant too because of you just coming off major surgery as well? Because honestly, when I when I read the story, I didn't know that was the journey, right, until to, to you got to the bigs. When I saw you debut, I wasn't surprised at all. I was like, I played with that guy. I had a feeling he was going to make the majors. <laughs> and I, Seriously. And then, But then I realized what you went through. But again, given like your 10th round pick, you're from a big SEC school. It's not like you played up north like me and Jake at a school no one ever heard of. It's surprising to me that you had to drive your car from Canada to Arizona to fly to Kentucky to, to get someone to actually potentially take a shot on you, right? Given your, your status as a prospect at that point and before the injury. Well, and again, I think part of that goes back to the type of pitcher that I am, right? Like it's not, I'm not a stuffed guy. I, I'm not going to blow you away when you see me one time, right? It's not something where, especially as a reliever, I throw an inning or two, you know, it was whatever it was, 85 to 88, 84, 88, little breaking ball, not much of a change up. You know, it, it was some command, had a little bit of ride on the fastball. But other than that, it really wasn't anything impressive. Um, so, like, I understand that part of it. Again, especially having been around the game now, it's tough to take a chance on a guy like that. I was would have been 23 or 24 at the time and not have played above rookie ball. But going back to that, yes, there was a lot of – there was some concern with the elbow. There's no question about that. And there was some other red tape that had to get cut through. You know, none of the guys higher up in the organization had seen me throw – uh, they're going to have to buy out my indie ball contract, even though that was like 1500 bucks or something, get me a visa, like just a bunch of little things. So like, like it's not even the end of the story, honestly, for that. Yeah. Actually told me, Hey, look, go to these open tryouts in Arizona. If nothing happens, give us a call and uh, we'll see what we can do. So I flew back to Arizona a couple weeks later and went to these open tryouts. I had them lined up. I think it was with the Cardinals, Rockies and Brewers and the Brewers had actually drafted me out of high school. Um, and I hadn't signed. Um, so this first one was the Cardinals and it ended up getting canceled the day before I had them lined up every other day. Right. So you get that day of rest in between Cardinals one, got a call day before, Hey, yeah, the trial's not happening. So like went and found an indoor facility to just go throw at to try to stay sharp. Then the Brewers one was like a bullpen felt like I threw well, they came back with, Hey, we think you could use a little more time in indie ball, which was basically like, yeah, we, we don't think you're quite good enough. And then the, the Rockies one was a huge open trial. There was, I don't know, 45, 50 guys there. And your tryout was 15 pitches total. It was five pitches to three different hitters and in and out and get in, get out. And, and that, there it was. And I was like, well, that's probably not going to be something that I'm going to get a call back from either. So I didn't. And so I called the guys back up in Minnesota. I'm like, hey, well, where are we at here? And they're like, well, you know, they're still pretty hesitant with everything. Uh, there were still some issues to go through. 
Um, I was fortunate. I actually had a friend staying down in Fort Myers at the time, um, which is where Minnesota Spring Training is. And uh, they told me, look, if you need a place to crash, you can crash here. Why don't you just drive? And, you know, I thought about it for the night and I was like, you know what? What the hell? If I'm going to do this, let's jump all in. Right. I, I didn't want to look back in 10 years and, and wonder what if. Right. So I called the scouts up. I said, hey, how about this? I know you guys can't fly me out for a couple of days anyways. How about I hop in my car? I'll drive over. You know, I'll take the medical that you want me to take. I'll throw for whoever you want me to throw for. Whatever you need me to do, you know, I'll do it. If you guys like me well enough to give me an invite to spring training, great. You can reimburse me. If not, don't worry about it and I'll go home. And he made a couple phone calls. That was Tim O'Neill, the cross checker. He made a couple phone calls, called me back about 10 minutes later and said, yeah, okay, that'll work. And hopped in my car. And I think that one was about 42 hours over to Fort Myers from Phoenix. So made that one in three days. And uh, a couple days later, threw for some guys and... Luckily for me, they liked me enough to give me a give me an invite to spring training, and um, my visa didn't get in right away, so I didn't actually break camp with a team. I was in rookie ball again at 24 this time, or whatever I was, 23 or 24. My math going 26 years old, 25 years old at that point in time in, in rookie ball, and so, and I went into our pitching coordinator and I said, "Look, it, I mean, if this is where you see me, guys, that or see me, that that's fine. And I may as well just go home because yeah." me being 25 playing in rookie ball and he said no your visa hasn't got in and i was fortunate uh there were a couple injuries at high a and once those happened my visa got in and got moved up to high a and uh was able to kind of move up pretty quick so it was uh i kept getting pushed up because i was older than everybody so i was like all right well pushing really fails and fortunately for me i was able to have some success and uh from there it went uh went pretty well yeah so before we get into the actual debut what was that? What were those car rides like, man? You're by yourself and, and on all those car rides, like a lot of soul searching. Oh, yeah. Like what's going through your head going from Canada to Arizona and then Arizona to Fort Myers, knowing this tryout is probably my shot. Obviously, if it doesn't work out, maybe go back and play in Quebec in the Can-Am League. But it's kind of like over at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, if I if I don't make that team in 11, I, it, the career's over. I go play indie ball and I don't don't go anywhere. I maybe go play one more year and then go teach somewhere. Um Honestly, those drives were better than the drive coming back after getting released from San Diego, though. Uh, I will say that. You know, you at least have some hope, whereas mm -hmm. your dreams just got dashed, right, coming on the drive back. I had also driven down to spring that year, so that was a long drive home, uh, the 27 hours from Phoenix home after getting released uh, by the Padres. Um, and then the drive from Phoenix to Fort Myers, man, I-10 I south, I think it is, going through Texas is just brutal. Isn't it like 12 or 14 hours just to get across that state or something it's insane? It's ridiculous. And, and this is back before you have your smartphones, and so there weren't even radio stations, man. <laughs> I Luckily, I think I mixed CDs still in my glove compartment. What were you playing? What were you playing? Were you, you know, a little, little BIG or something? Just a random, most random mix you could think of. I couldn't even tell you what was on there. I'm sure there was some pop and some hip hop and then some probably who girl bands, boy, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The random, <laughs> random mixes. Got me through I, uh, Southwest Texas anyways, because there's about, I don't know what it is, six or eight hours there. Man, it's miserable. The only place I've driven that's as bad is in Saskatchewan here, and there's just nothing here. So um, they, they were long drives, but uh, yeah, they weren't as bad as, like I said, coming back after getting released. Yeah, I'm sure. Let me ask a quick question. So when you were kind of like fast tracking once you were with the with the twins and kind of like, wow, I keep moving. Were you like thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, that was a pretty good start or whatever, and I'm moving up again? Or were you thinking like, hey, there's a reason I'm older. They're pushing me through, kind of go until I can't go any further. Or were you surprised with that process? Just curious to hear different perspectives of, you know, an older prospect versus like, 
you know, these 18 year olds. Yeah. There were a few things that kind of happened. They were kind of random. I actually signed as a reliever in high A. I was a reliever coming out of the pen, threw the ball pretty well. I had a, I don't know, something mid ones maybe in the first half. And they actually called up another lefty out of the pen in front of me, a guy by the name of Blake Martin who had gone to LSU. He was a little younger, but think at the time I had better numbers than him. So I was actually kind of pissed about that. I mean, again, didn't understand the whole deal with stuff and prospects and why like you know you still think if you produce you're going to get your opportunity um or you deserve to get your opportunity and that's not always the case but eventually i got called up i don't know if somebody got hurt up in double a or whatever there was some movement i started out in the pen kind of in a middle relief role throwing two or three innings and then we started having guys run up run into their innings limits at the end of the season and you know i was a guy that was extended a little bit so I could throw two or three at a time so I ended up starting a few games at the end of the year and that went okay going into spring the next year I was thinking okay I'll be back in the pen and I get there and I if you know me at all I haven't pitched from the windup since 2007 in college and so we're in 2012 now in spring and my my pitching coordinator comes up and he says uh hey Elbers you always throw from the stretch I said yeah yeah I do he said well uh you might want to work on a windup here because you're probably going to start a few games. And like, like that was the first time I had heard that. I didn't know that was the plan going in. I'm like, okay, well, let's try this. And so try to wind up for probably the first three weeks to a month of the season and leadoff hitters were hitting about 450 off. And I was like, I'm just going from the stretch right away anyways. So bang that and never went back. Yeah. The, like the windup thing, you see a lot of these starters now, like road, I was watching Rodon the other night. A lot of these guys are basically in the stretch with very little movement. I wonder if they, if they were like, hey, I, I don't like pitching out of the windup. For me, it was a simplicity thing. It was uh, it started in college because I was coming out of the pen in 08, and I never came in for a fresh inning, I felt like. So it was like, okay, I can't find rhythm. I have to be able to find rhythm from the stretch right away anyway. So if this is the case, I'm never thrown from the windup unless I get through my first inning anyways. So let's let's make sure that I can find rhythm from the stretch. So that's kind of my thing. I think nowadays with your, you're seeing all of the biomechanics and you're seeing all of the analytics and things like that that come in. And I think it's easier for guys to get in positions of power from the stretch, you know, whether it's just a little bit of anti-rotation, whether it's getting into that back heel or whether it's getting into that back leg, it's just a little bit easier when you don't have that extra motion and personal opinion, no, no data, no proof to back this up. That would be my guess why some of that you're starting to see a little bit more of it. Um, as things go on. Uh, but for, yeah, for me, so I ended up starting in double A that year, started all year. The next year was actually scheduled to go to double A out of spring as a starter, I believe as a starter, maybe as a reliever. I don't remember. Anyways, my, my luggage had literally gotten on the bus to go to double A and somebody claimed Adam Burnett off of waivers, I believe. So the, the, the 25th man on the roster spot for the Twins went to a guy by the name of Wilkin, Wilkin Ramirez, an outfielder. And so it left. They needed a 40-man spot. And this is all things that I had no idea about at the time. Didn't know how any of that worked. But they needed a 40-man spot. So they designated Adam Burnett, I believe it was, right-handed reliever. Somebody claimed him. He was originally going to be headed to AAA. So that opened up a spot in AAA. Starter got hurt, so they brought up a starter, and I ended up in AAA that year just because I was a guy that was extended. Um, they, they moved me to AAA to go to throw in the pen originally, and then our starter got called up. So I got the fifth start of the season, and I started every fifth day after that. I think I ended up throwing 192 innings that year. It's crazy. It's crazy how these stories, like we, I've heard some people talk on, on the, this podcast, some of my other buddies offline. Obviously, you got dealt a really bad hand with the injury, right? Tenth round, injured, released, had to do everything you just said to come back. But then it's like all the dominoes that have to fall into place if you're not just like a first or second round stud that's going to be automatically in the majors. 
it's nuts. And, you know, you hear the stories that go the other way where, where guys produce, but they're just blocked their whole career. Yep. And they're never able to make the jump to AAA, never mind the majors. I mean, you just you just rattled off like 10 different things that had to happen to get to even AAA as a starter. <laughs> well, and again, my year in AAA, every single guy in our rotation got called up before me. And every single guy struggled. And eventually in August, I was sitting there. I had had a really good year. I was sub three. 12 and three or something like that, 12 and four, I don't know. And it's like, they'd run out of other options. So it's like, <laughs> all right, here we go. Elbers, you get your shot. Like that was kind of where it went. It took till August. And like, like I said, we had gone through, we were bad that year. The twins were bad that year. Um, I think we lost a hundred games and our rotation wasn't good at all. Uh, and, and like I said, we had gone through every option already at AAA. Uh, PJ Walters, Sam DiDuno, Cole DeVries. I'm trying to think of who else was there. Uh, Pedro Hernandez, I think. There may have been another one. Like, like it was ridiculous. And they all went up and struggled and nobody was able to take the reins. And uh, Kyle Gibson was there actually that year. That was his rookie year as well. And he was kind of their top prospect. And he struggled that year as well. So it was just like, all right, finally got an opportunity. And you're right. You're right, Chris. I mean, so many things have to go right. You have to be able to take advantage of that opportunity when they do, when they do, right? Yeah. But um, the things that had to fall into place for me to even get that opportunity are, are pretty incredible when you look back on it no question so what's the call like man what does that mean like you get the call up how did that happen is it your manager calling you in someone calling you on the phone talk to us about that moment because that had to be pretty incredible yeah that's a fun one I mean you'd been in AAA all year guys know who you are you know again I was a little bit older and whatnot been grinding it was actually we were in Lehigh Valley and it was post game deal and one of our guys had actually gotten called up a couple of days before, uh, Oswaldo Arcia. And they had told our manager at that point in time that they were going to call me up. They're going to make another move. Um, they just hadn't announced it at the big league level yet. So he waited. He almost let it drop that that day or whatever, but ended up waiting a couple more days. But, uh, you know, you kind of had an idea. You When you're getting close, you start watching that big league club a little bit closer. You kind of start seeing what's going on. And and I think uh, Scott Diamond was was the guy who ended up getting sent down for me. And he had had a rough start the time before and had a – He'd had a really, really good 2012 season, but was really struggling in 2013. And it was like, okay, well, this, you know, it might be a shot. I was going through a really good stretch in AAA. I'd just gone back-to-back complete games, an eight and a nine, you know, giving up one or two runs in each of those. And so I was I was feeling good. And uh, yeah, so it was after the game, he announced in front of the team and you get to celebrate with your teammates. And then you start getting on the phone and try to make some phone calls to to family members and whatnot. And yeah, it's uh, it's pretty special. It's a neat feeling for sure. Yeah, it's got to be an understatement. <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, you start thinking about the journey, right? Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. Let me ask you this. Honestly, when you're that close and you're watching, like you said, those guys struggle, who you were just playing with, are you like, ah, can you please give up that grand slam? I, I really want that call. Like, you don't have to answer, honestly. I want, I want but like, to In the it, back honestly. of my head, yeah. I feel like I'd be doing There is a little bit of that. I mean, there's no question, right? Don't yeah, of course. That, that's, what, that's where you're at. And you hate for it to come because somebody's struggling um you want it to be because you have forced the issue that you've just pitched that well they don't have a choice right i mean especially when when the team's struggling there is a little bit of that and that's the unfortunate part about professional baseball right and that's why you see especially in the minors where nobody cares about winning it's all about individual numbers it's a very selfish brand of baseball it's about me 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 and that's why, like, like, even though your team, you're competing with each other to try to get to the next level. And, you know, that was one of the things for me, I appreciate about indie ball. I appreciate about the summer ball and obviously collegiate athletics is, you know, that stuff didn't matter. It was, 
what do you have to do to win a game? How are you going to win the next game? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the minors, that's, that's just not it. And even in the bigs, to be honest with you, like some of that goes away, but there's still a lot of that where it's like, hey, I got to put up my numbers so I get paid. Um, you know, you don't have anybody wearing 95 yeah. mile an hour fastballs to get, get on base. All right. Like you did in college or like not, not necessarily that happened as much in summer ball. Cause, but again, you know, they're, they're there, they're protecting their careers and rightfully so I'm not, I'm not saying that's the wrong approach or the wrong way to go about it, but that's just kind of the reality of it and, and how things are. Um, so it's just a little bit different that way. Whereas for me, I've been fortunate to go play on some national teams and some things like that. And, and there it's like, Hey, wear it, you wear it, you get to first base, get us a base runner, sack bunt. You know, no numbers there, but you're getting a guy in yeah. scoring position. All of a sudden, now a cheap single or an error, you score a run, and and that one run might win you a ball game, and that's all that matters, and that's all that anybody cares about. So it's neat getting to go play in that atmosphere, because uh, that's certainly something that's lacking, kind of in in the affiliated professional ball. By the way, I thought it was funny earlier when you said you're not a stuff guy. I think you said it twice, and it's it's just funny because of what stuff means at different levels. Because my memory of you. You were a starter when we played together that summer was like 88 to 91 hitting every corner with a sharp slider and like pretty much unhittable for certain stretches of games. So it's just funny, like you're almost coining yourself as like a crafty, sloppy lefty or something like that. And the crafty lefties, Jake, you and I are used to from college were like 78, 65 mile an hour change up, literally just trying to get guys that were like not even patient enough to sit back and wait. It, it, it's just funny to me because <laughs> you got good stuff. And that's an interesting point, right? Like, like I could always, I was always able to command the baseball a little bit. And like I said, I had a little giddy up on my four seamer. So it played up, but like my average velocity, I don't think it was above 80. I has ever been above 88 in my career. Mm -hmm. um, I think the last year I was up in 21 was the hardest I've thrown. And it was just at 88 point something. And like the radar guns have gotten better and whatnot. Now everyone's got track man in there. So it's a little bit more accurate and probably gets it as firm as it can be. But like, yeah, it, it was a lot of, I think my first two starts uh, up in the bigs, I don't think I touched 90. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those first two starts. Cause a lot of people probably don't remember this and I yeah. do cause I was watching you. So first two starts with the, tw with the twins, eight and a third, your first start, no runs, almost a complete game. You get the win. Second start, people probably think it's this 27 or 20 year old rookie got a little beginner's luck, complete game shutout game two. walk us through that you get the call up and then you just completely deal your first two starts in the bigs. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was a couple of those nights where everything just went right. As I mentioned, before I got called up, I felt really good. And I was just kind of in a zone where if I wanted to throw the ball in a certain location, I, I just did. Like, it, it was crazy. And I don't know if I've ever been back to that level with my fastball command again. In those four starts, the two in AAA and, and the next two in the big leagues, I threw a combined, well, what's it end up being? 18 and 16. So what's that? 36 and a third. And three of them were complete games. And the one was an eight and a third. And we don't get a call at first base. Or maybe it's another complete game. Like, it, And again, it's not because I'm punching out the world. I think I struck out four guys yeah. in, in my first parts and so like you got to get a little luck like they got to hit some balls at guys and and I mean I, I will say I didn't feel like a ton of balls were squared up but there were certainly some that were that that found gloves right and the defense my second night man they made three plays that were just unbelievable um and that's an inning right there like uh Brian Dozier made a great play in right field going I don't know how far he went to go catch a fly ball and Pedro Florimon made two plays up the middle at short that were just I mean they're big league plays yeah. like they're 
They're really, really good big league plays. Yeah. And it was like, man, like if those don't happen, you don't get the complete game. But like the, the Kansas City one, I remember we got absolutely crushed the day before. We got beat like 14 to one or two or something like that. And so going into my start, it's like our bullpen had just been annihilated. It's like, okay, I got to go in and at least chew up some innings. And I remember uh, I went out and I probably threw the worst pregame pen of my life that day. Um, it was really humid in Kansas City. It was August 6th, I believe. And, man, I couldn't grip the baseball. I, didn't, I don't think I'd ever dealt with anything quite like that. And I was bouncing fastballs and sailing change-ups. And uh, our poor pitching coach, Rick Anderson, he must have been like, man, we're about to send this this guy out right now. Like, he just <laughs> last night. And th- this is what we're about to send out. 85 spraying everywhere. Uh, and, like, I... I'm not gonna lie. I had never done this before, but I went and got some of the bullfrog sunscreen with some rosin to create a little tact and just a little stickiness on the hand, and it, it helped a lot. I'm not no question about that. Um, but went out there, and and I remember Lorenzo King was the first guy I faced, and it's like, okay, just throw strike one. I hadn't faced Kansas City at any level in the minors. They didn't know anything about me. It was a good chance that they were taking probably that first time through, which they pretty much did. And so it was like, hey, if I can just throw a strike, we're 0-1. And was fortunate enough through a strike, and he grounded out. And then Hosmer hit a ball probably 114 right back up the middle, almost my leg out. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. And I'm like, here we go. And then all of a sudden, retired 15 guys in a row, and we're in the sixth. Like, oh, shoot, we've got a lead. We scored some runs. And it was like, great. Kept hitting the ball. Andrew, let me ask you this. So another interesting thing, uh, perspective is like you have scouting reports. I'm assuming you have it through the minors. But when you get to the big league level, it's like, hey, here's going to be our approach today. When you're having those scouting reports, like meetings, I don't know, you tell me, you guys having meetings. When you're going in with Kansas City, you're like, hey, Kane up and in, can't handle it. So even like we got to go there. Like, tell me a little bit about like what those meetings are like. Yeah, it's actually crazy how much has changed in the last eight years. The amount of information that you have now, even compared to 2013, is just incredible. Um, the thing that I like to do and that I that I remember doing for that start is I like to watch video on hitters. It's different in the minors. You can't go and just select specific guys and then go watch their at-bats against other you know, specific guys. Whereas you get up to the bigs and they have everything cataloged. So it was like, all right, let me go find a similar lefty to me, you know, a Jason Vargas at the time. Was Jamie Moyer still out there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember who all I watched. Uh, maybe even Danny Duffy a little bit, even though he threw firmer. There was another guy. Vargas was with Kansas City, so we played a lot of the same teams, and we were very similar. He was fairly soft. He was in that four to eight range or four to ninety range with a good change up, nice little breaking ball. Watched a lot of his. And there's somebody else, and I can't remember who it was now. But anyways, I'd go watch kind of their starts and see how they approach guys and see how guys approach them as well. And that was kind of what I did. And then it was sit down with your pitching coach and your catcher and develop a game plan. And uh, the guy who caught my first, well, actually nine out of my 10 starts up in the big leagues was a guy by the name of Chris Herman, who had uh, caught me in the minors quite a bit. Fortunately for me, Chris had no problems with me shaking. I tended to shake a lot because it was just, you know, I, I f- I'm feeling this at this point in time and it might go even go against the plan. But whether it was something I saw in a swing or, or something that I just felt I could execute at that point in time. Um, that's kind of what we would go with. And then, you know, you're talking in between innings, you know, it's like, okay, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? How are we going to approach the next inning? Who we got, you know, just a little brief conversation, at least get the first pitch out of the way. This is what I want to do. First pitch. Let's go from there again. As you've gone forward, like the last, last year in 21, after coming back from Japan, the amount of information was just, it was overload, hot and cold zones and heat maps and, all of the analytics yeah. stuff, I was just like, and, and it got to me in the minors even, we had we had all of these. And I got bogged down a little bit. My first month in last year was awful. 
Um, and I was just like, I got away from kind of what I did well and got sucked into, Hey, this is where the game's going. It's fastballs up in the zone with a carry fastball and throw your breaking ball down below the zone. And that wasn't something that I was accustomed to doing and wasn't necessarily a strength of mine just because I'd never done it, tried it, didn't go very well. And it was like, well, shoot, I'm about to get released anyways. I may as well at least try to go back to pitching how I know how to pitch and went a little bit better from there. But the access of information, you got first pitch swing percentage, guys on base, nobody on base. Like I remember we went into Detroit one year and it was the year after Miggy had won the triple crown and he was coming off. He, he had just hurt his groin, but he was hitting 450 with runners in scoring position off left hand. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like how is that even possible in this day and age? It was crazy crazy number like i said fortunately for me he had just tweaked a groin so the swing wasn't quite the same but like you have access to all of that any pitch any count what they do um and so it was just yeah you you had to be selective again for me i was a guy that liked to watch the at bats and liked to watch the video and that was where i would develop my game plan from but different guys do it differently yeah that almost does seem like information could be counterproductive at some point if you're getting almost too bogged down and in, into the specifics there and especially seeing a stat like that Miggy 450 against lefty who's running around scoring position you come up with a guy in second and he comes up you must be like well there's no point in even throwing this pitch yeah. <laughs> flip a coin let me see what happens yeah that's right that's exactly what it's there for too the jump from like triple a to mlb obviously like that's part of it uh anything else that stood out to you when you're like holy shit i mean obviously you're gonna have like the amenities and things like that i imagine but like was there any one other thing outside of like the scouting reports and the technology yeah like the stadiums are awesome right the pre and post game spreads get a lot better the travel's a lot nicer you know you're on private <laughs> jets um you know team jets whatever team charters uh so all of those things the stuff around the game are, are it's just you get treated so much better the hotels you stay at the cities obviously you know, kind of all those things. The game itself doesn't change that much. You know, yeah, you got to be a little more precise. You get you get hurt a little bit more with mistakes that you make. You know, you can't make multiple ones or, or you end up getting hurt and, and things like that. Uh, there's that third deck in the stadiums that can be a little bit intimidating. You know, in the minors, there are basically two tiers. Once you get up to the bigs, you have that third tier and all of a sudden the, the stadium looks a lot bigger. But again, luckily the game doesn't change. And that's something for me that I've kind of figured out playing in as many different locations. It doesn't matter if it's Korea or Japan or Venezuela or the States. You know, the, the game's the same. The mound's still 60 feet, six inches away and bases are 90 feet and they still got to hit whatever you're throwing up there. So Again, if you can execute and execute enough good pitches, you usually have a good chance of success. And even at the big league level with how good those guys are, that, that doesn't change. What, what was it like, Andrew, walking in, like going back to the debut, not just getting the call up, but like walking into that clubhouse for the first time, right? I'm sure you knew some of those guys from AAA or spring training, but you know, you're walking in, you're starting, you're the new face. That's got to be intimidating. I mean, you're probably used to it going, you know, single A, double A, triple A, new clubhouses. But going into that major league for the first time, what are the guys like? Are they super welcoming in that spot? Or is it just kind of business as usual because they see so many guys come and go? It was a funny thing because I, I didn't know a lot of the guys very well on that team. Because I actually, I'd never been to big league camp. And the only, I was there for two weeks that year because of the WBC was that year. I ended up playing with Team Canada. And Justin Morneau happened to still be on the Twins team. And I was very fortunate that when I got up there, he kind of took me under his wing, fellow Canadian, um, kind of showed me the ropes there. He ended up getting traded, I think, to Pittsburgh later that year. But for the first month or whatever, he kind of took me under his wing. That was great. You know, that, that, that was that was really special for me and, and mentored me and things like that. Obviously, some of the guys that I played with in AAA, you're familiar with when you get in the clubhouse. But I don't even know if I'd ever met Maurer at the time. Or you had guys like Ryan Dumid and Carlos Correa, or not Carlos Correa, Kevin Correa. Like, I didn't know those guys. And, and you know, they didn't know me because I, I wasn't in big league camp. Yeah. Kind of an unknown there, but... Again, they they were welcoming, you know, when you once you get there, it's all about winning games. 
Um, I was fortunate that I got called up a couple days before my, my actual start. Um, so I got to get the feel of the clubhouse a little bit. We played the night before in Kansas City as well, so I knew the stadium. One of the memories I have walking out on the, that field for the first time knowing I was going to pitch, I actually had some buddies that I had played high school baseball with that flew down to Kansas City to watch my debut. I had no idea that they were coming in. And the first thing I hear when I walk out on the stadium is I just hear, Albert! Guys <laughs> just yelling at me. I look over and they got their shirts off and they got Albert's painted on their chest. And I just, yeah! You know, That's so awesome. That was pretty funny. It's a memory that kind of sticks with me. Um, one of the things I remember about that day, uh, that, that was pretty neat. And uh, yeah, it was just obviously a really special day when it goes that well with the grind that you put in and then having those first two starts. I think I was the first guy since the 50s to throw eight plus shutout in his first two outings. And the way the game's going right now, I don't know if that'll happen. Oh, no. Yeah. And again, it has to be special circumstance. I wasn't a big prospect, you know, so my pitch count was a little higher. Yeah. You know, I threw 107 and one. Like how many guys throw 100 pitches in a game anymore, right? That's such like, a funny way to say it. It's like they didn't care if I blew my arm out. <laughs> well, like, like Kyle Gibson got shut down that year for an innings limit. I had thrown 100 innings the year before and it was at 192. And they're like, ah, we'll send yeah, him out yeah. there. We don't. Yeah. Fuck him. Well, fuck him. Let's go to 250. 100 more innings this year than he did last year, right? But, but that's all part of it. Like talk about how many things have to go right. And those are all those all kind of play into that. So yeah, pretty crazy set of circumstances. And and again, I was really fortunate. They hit a lot of gloves. I, like I said, I, I punched out my first night. I punched out George Kateris twice, backup catcher. Luckily, Salvador Perez wasn't in the lineup. He ended up getting to me the next time we faced him. He got me a couple times. And, you know, that, those are my only two punch outs in my debut. And the second time I only punched out two, two guys too. So to get through 17 innings with four strikeouts, you got to get pretty fortunate. Yeah, so then at, after 2013, so you, you didn't play in the bigs in 14. You were in the bigs 2015 with the Blue Jays, 2016 back with the Twins, 2017 with the Mariners. Four-year hiatus, so you pitched last year again with the Twins. So three different stints with the Twins. And in between, you were in, what, Korea and Japan playing professionally? Yeah, so in 14, I went to Korea. So I came into spring the next year. The Twins had signed Ricky Nolasco, and they had signed... Oh, uh, Phil Hughes. And so they had Kevin Correa, Mike Pelfrey, Ricky Nolasco, Phil Hughes all under contract, giving them money. So those guys were all going to make the team. So there was one spot open for about five of us. There was Vance Worley, Daduno, Diamond, myself, Gibson. Gibson was like their top pitching prospect. The other three guys were out of options. So I was like, man, I had all of my options left, like all three of them. So, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall. I can go to camp and get everybody out, and I'm not going to make this team. It really doesn't matter what I do. Um, so the Korea thing kind of actually happened out of the blue. I wasn't looking for it, didn't have any plans on going going there. It was just that they, they came in with an offer that was kind of too good to pass up, and the Twins let me go. And so went over there. It didn't go well. It was a little nicked up, didn't have a good season. Ended up coming back here in 15, played winter ball in Venezuela, the winter of 15. That was the winter of 14. Winter of 15, I did, but 15, I, summer of 15, I was with the Jays. Got called up for a day. That was a dream come true, getting to play for the uh, hometown club. Yeah. Gave up a home run to the first guy face, Chuck, Chuck Hayes, I believe, with two of Burley's runners on base. Um, <laughs> ended up going another two and two thirds. You know, didn't give up anything else, but got sent down right after the game. It's like, well, I guess you can't give up Burley's runs and <laughs> stay up at the Right. But it was just one of those situations where they need a guy to chew up some innings. And I did what I was supposed to do and then got sent down. And unfortunately, in AAA, the rest of the year didn't go so well. That was when I went and played winter ball. Actually started 2016 in indie ball in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Crazy. And uh, had, once, yeah, had one start there. 
Twins had a bunch of injuries. I they they had had two pitching coaches on the team I played winter ball with that had seen me play there, and I had had a good winter ball season. So they ended up signing me to go pitch in AAA, and was fortunate to get to get called up that year. I actually uh, got called up as the 26th guy for a doubleheader, and again because they needed somebody to chew up innings. And I think I ended up uh, throwing 108 pitches out of the pen. Um, <laughs> Just where <laughs> we, uh, that's so many pitches in release. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I set a record for the twins. I don't, I'm not sure it's not an all time record or anything, but I'm pretty sure it's a, it was a twins record at the time. I don't know if it still stands or not, but um, we got beat bad in the first game. Bullpen got used up. Tommy Malone started the second game and he came out with shoulder soreness in the third and he had given up a few runs. I came in, gave up like five in my first two innings and we were down, I don't know what it was, 10 nothing, 10-1, 10-2. It wasn't close. And by then, everybody was out. Like, all the starters were out. Correa and Altuve and Bregman, they were all gone. And it was like, all right, just just get through it. Strike zone got a lot bigger. It was like, okay, let's go. Man, finished it off at least, which is what I was supposed to do. And at least nobody else had to throw. And, yeah, yeah, I think I – I don't know what it was, 100 and – 100-plus pitches anyways. I, I, I don't know, but um, ended up getting a September call-up later on. I got sent down a couple days later and got a September call-up. So that was nice. Didn't throw a lot. Uh, 17 was a great year for me. Probably the best year I've had professionally, honestly. I started in the Gwinnett Braves organization, uh, or in the Braves organization. Actually, I almost didn't make a team out of camp. I found out later I had a buddy on the coaching staff, and, you know, they go through their meetings, and it's like, hey, what do you think of this guy? And apparently when my name came up, it was kind of split half and half. I'm like, yeah, we like him. No, he's no good, you know, et cetera. And I actually started that season on the Phantom uh, phantom disabled list which means you start on the dl even though you're not hurt just kind of as an extra arm and i was fortunate we had an extra inning game early we used a bunch of pitchers so they took me off the phantom and i got to pitch a little bit i ended up kind of coming out of the pen starting every once in a while pen start pen start and eventually just you know threw the ball really really well and got to start i think i had six six starts i had one start where i gave up more than one runs in the six starts before i got called up that year and actually the call-up happened. When I was in Gwinnett, uh, they called up Max Freed, who was in double-A at the time. And I don't know what his numbers were, but they, they weren't as good as mine were in triple-A. And they called him up in August, um, left-handed starter, to start some games. And I was sitting there in triple-A. I, I don't know what I was, 12 and 3 or 4 again with the 2-6 or whatever. Yeah, having a good year. Atlanta wasn't competing, so they were going young. Um, they were pushing the young guys up, obviously turned out to be a pretty good decision seeing what Max did last year with them and all that good stuff. Right. But it was like, well, shoot, I, I think I can help somebody at this point in time. Like the way I was throwing the baseball, I felt like I could help somebody if I could get an opportunity. And that was the year I think the second wild card was introduced. So there were, I don't know, like eight AL teams fighting for a wild card spot at the time. And we had seen Baltimore and AAA and their pitching staff was not good. And new Seattle needed help. And so we actually called, I actually called our, my pitching coordinator, a guy by the name of Don Petey up. And I said, look, you're me, what do you do here? Like, I'm happy to stay here if you guys think I'm part of your plans, but I don't think I can really throw the ball much better. And you guys just chose to go in this direction. Like, obviously I'm probably not one of your guys that, that's going to get a shot. Like, like what, do you, what would you do? Like, should I be trying to find a trade, ask for a trade? And he said, yeah, you know, if I were you, I'd probably kind of go that route. So we called, uh, we called the GM up. My agent and I, or I should say my agent called him up, but it was John Coppolello at the time. Talked to him about, you know, seeking out a trade and he was gracious enough to let me do that. And so uh, Seattle ended up trading for me and then James Paxton, an old college teammate of mine, got hurt and was in Tacoma for two days and then got called up. And like I said, for me, that was my best stretch by far that I had in the big leagues. And, you know, you talk about just dominoes falling right. And there it was again. But yeah, it was a great end of the season. We didn't have, and we did not end up making the playoffs, unfortunately, but 
had a tough September, but uh, but for me it was great, and that got me to Japan. Yeah, five and one that year, three five ERA. Mm -hmm. I mean, not too shabby, man. So then you go to Japan after that, from essentially 2018 to 21. Yeah, I was there for three years. I had a had a really good first half my first year there. Um, made the all-star team, ended up signing a two-year extension out of that. Um, then ended up herniating a disc, hurt my back the next year, needed back surgery. And then the third year was just kind of okay. My second year was rough, just wasn't healthy. Third year, battled. It went okay, just wasn't quite good enough to get back there. Loved my time there. They treated me really, really well. It's a really good baseball league. They they, they can really play over there. Like they, like you're starting to see some of those guys come come back here now. And you're starting to see what they can do. Yeah. And, you know, they, they can really play. You know, you're seeing Suzuki this year. Obviously, Otani's just a different animal, um, you know. But but they, uh, they've they got some really good players. Just not quite the depth. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you can only have four imports. So, you know, they're basically making up their rosters on Japanese guys, basically. Whereas, even if you had to do that in the States, and there aren't yeah. 30 teams there. I think there are 12. You just don't quite get the depth. But, but their elite players are... They're big league starters for sure, if not all stars. I mean, I've seen I've seen the highlights over there. It looks oh, insane as well when you're. The playing. fans are awesome. Like it's really loud. They create such a great atmosphere. Um, they make a lot of noise, and it's all positive, which is something that's really nice. You know, you're not getting booed. You're nobody's swearing at you. Nobody's talking about your mom or your sister or anything like that, right? Like they're making a bunch of noise. They got their drums and their trumpets and whatever else, but it's all positive cheer right positive cheering so that's kind of neat and and yeah the atmosphere you get to some of those places I, I kind of played for a little bit of a blue collar team our fan base wasn't the greatest but going to some of those more traditional teams man when those fans got going it, it was hard to hear yourself think sometimes like it, it got loud in a hurry and a lot of those stadiums are indoors and so it just reverberates off the walls and it it, it can get really really loud in a hurry so we talked to our buddy anthony Santi last week who's playing professionally in mexico he's been there for a few years and oh, yeah. he was saying uh like one of the biggest differences of playing down there is like there's trumpets and music going until the pitcher literally releases the ball. And then it's like ball one. And you just hear like <laughs> until like the next uh, pitch comes and like there's mascots on the field <laughs> during the games. Like, is it, is there any similarities there with just like the entertainment factor over in Japan, like trying to get the crowd into it that way? Well, they all have cheerleaders too, right? Like in Japan, there's, there's a set of cheerleaders. They're usually on the dugout or at some, some point somewhere. And they, they all have Korea and Japan are very similar in this way. Like, like every hitter that comes up, it's always the team that's batting whose fans section is cheering. Like, and, and it's different. They're so respectful to each other where, and the countries are small enough that you have a fairly good conglomerate no matter where you go of home and away and they're usually in the outfield so like if the home team's batting and their section's up they're they're the ones that are cheering and then when the away team comes up their fans sit down and the other section in the outfield's cheering so like it'll be right field for the home team left field for the away team and that's kind of how it goes every batter that comes up they have like specific chants for each batter now i can't tell you what they are because <laughs> they're all in japanese but but like there were specific kind of like songs and chants that for each hitter that would come up and they were just continuous throughout the at bat. I don't even know if they stopped during the pitch. Like there were, there were, there's no quiet time in, in there, uh, in the, in those games. So, so again, the atmospheres were awesome. Uh, the fans were great. A lot of fun. They, they love their baseball in Japan. You're kind of a minor celebrity down there. You know, you, people recognize you because again, there's not a ton of diversity there either. So especially if you're going out with a couple other guys on the team, you know, you go out for dinner or something and there's just three big white guys or big foreigners <laughs> together. And um, so you kind of stand out a little bit there. The population's a little smaller as far as height goes. So yep. you generally, generally stand out a little bit, but, uh, but it was great. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Unreal, man. Totally. I love hearing the perspectives of the different leagues. Different worlds. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still the same game. Yeah. A little smaller. They don't have quite same the game. Top. Same game. Super fundamentally sound. 
you know, can't make the great plays often, but man, they don't miss the routine play. Mm-hmm. You know what? Actually, I, I do have a question about about the uh, the leagues over there. So I remember like where the Red Sox. Dice K. Come on, Jake. Dice K. Dice K. Yeah. So I know it's terrible. Yeah. I, I got how the fuck. I was. Get that I in just the said Dos Equis. Get, get that in the beer bowl sakes. next time, man. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Dos- All right, Dos Equis coming next week. So. Like the big thing was like, oh, the fucking gyro ball and like all these crazy pitches. You still hear about it, like, oh my god, these like, come on, w- w- they're throwing splitters, they're throwing fucking cutter. Like, what, what's their big thing over there? But you, yeah, feel like yeah. it's like the splitty is huge over there. They all throw splitties. That's their changeup. Like, like name a Japanese pitcher that's come over that hasn't had a splitty. Like that's Otani's big pitch. That's Tanaka's big pitch. That one of Matsuzaka's big pitches. Yeah, yeah. he threw like six or eight. Darvish, I'm pretty sure, even throws one. Now, he's more of a breaking ball guy. Everybody throws plays. And talking to the import hitters over there, that's one of the biggest adjustments for them. There's two things. One, there's no such thing as a fastball count over there. And you're starting to see it here in North America as well, where you're seeing uh-huh. fewer and fewer fastballs. Going over there even four or five years ago, there's no such. if you're a power guy, you're not getting a fastball 2-0-2-1. It's going to be split. It's going to be slider. It's going to be something. You know, you have to have enough discipline to lay off. And again, obviously you will get the odd one, but it's like rare, very, very rare that you're going to get a fastball and an actual fastball count. The thing that they do so well over there is again, just fundamentally, they have such a good feel for pitching, good feel for their off their secondary stuff. Like, like the bullpen guys, they don't have the stuff per se that's over in North America. Like they're not out, out there throwing 95 to hundred, all of them, but they all have feel for three, almost all of them have a feel for three pitches. And if they only have two, those two pitches are elite they're above Oji Uhara think think about him I mean yeah, yeah. Jake Red Sox fans he was our closer of the year they won the World Series every time he came yeah, in it's yeah. like he's throwing 90 91 and you're like is today the day he's finally going to give up three home runs but it just split split <laughs> yeah, yeah and he was just he was just boom 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 like, boom you hitting spots left and right everyone bases loaded you think for sure you're getting a fastball no splitty swing <laughs> miss like like and that's what it is over there and so the game's a little bit different that way where it's it's just not quite as much of a power game where, you know, I'm going to blow you blow you away with 98 and I'm going to hit a homer, you know, or or that's kind of the battle that we're seeing here right now, right? It's like, here, here's, I'm going to throw it as hard as I can. Yeah. I'm going to hit it as hard as I can. Over there, it's more okay. We're going to be a little bit more under control, back control. Like if you're a starter striking out a guy in inning there, you're doing it. Really, really doing it. There aren't that many guys there that do. There's. I was actually just looking at the numbers a couple days ago because there was a guy that I played with uh yashinobu yamamoto who don't be surprised if you see him over in the states in a few years he's really really good but like he there were like two or three guys that had that were starters that were striking out more than a guy needs some of the relievers do but as a starter man it's tough because they again strikeouts are bad over there they want you to put the ball in play you got some you got some guys there man for me as a lefty without a without a wipeout slider without a really strikeout pitch it was a battle. You'd get some of those guys in there. Some of those left-handers, man, they weren't even trying to put the ball in play. They were just trying to follow it off to get to the next yeah. Like you talk about Ichiro's swing, right? And obviously that guy was an unbelievable hitter over there. So a little bit different animal. But some of the guys in the bottom of the lineup over there, you know, they just foul off pitch after pitch after pitch. And it's like, well, shoot, I can't throw him an off-speed pitch because it's just going to run into his bat speed. So it's just heater in, <laughs> heater in, heater in. Foul, foul ball, foul ball until you miss. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> But it's a different game there. The swings are a lot shorter. The defense isn't quite as great from a range standpoint for the most part. But again, a little bit more fundamentally sound. And yeah, a lot more hit and run, a lot more bunt. 
I mean, there's a lot of bunt over there. You, you'll see a bunt, leadoff guy hits a double or a single, next guy bunt, mm-hmm. boom, three, four, try to score your one run. So you don't see as quite as high scoring games for the most part. At least in Japan, Korea was different. Korea was more of an offensive league. The pitching, you really didn't have the depth for pitchers in Korea. If you could get into the middle of the pen in Korea, it, it could get ugly in a hurry. The Japanese pitching was a little bit better. Uh, so a lot, lot of, lot of close ball games there, just because they were four, three, five, four, two, one, lot, lot yep. of those. Yeah, I mean bunting is non-existent nowadays, at least in the major leagues. I'm assuming in the minors too, but according to the analytics, bunting and stealing bases, according to analytics, which is what everything goes by now, they're not productive. It's like a, it's like a mid-range two-point jump shot. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. Exactly what. Right. But you have some of the guys that are really good at it, where it does still yeah, play. Yeah, absolutely. I get so I get so upset on that note when you have the huge shift on, and there's like first and second no outs, and you got I don't fucking I'll think of a big lefty that's up Joey Gallo no, Joey Gallo it's like just fucking push bun it to third dude just just come Especially on dude about almost half is that bats anyways right like at least once in a while just try it once in a while no one's gonna get mad if you fucking do it and you load the bases with no outs and let Giancarlo hit you in like hit a fucking grand slam. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, you don't get the shifts in Japan because if you tried to do that, that's exactly what they would do. They short do. and they'd be good at it. They they they're very good. Their back control is outstanding. And they'd take their ground ball single to the right side and or to the left side, whichever side it happens to be. Like there were maybe got if you weren't an import, there I can only think of two guys that got shifted in Japan that weren't. Some of the imports would because they'd still that they're getting paid to hit homers, but like yeah, man, it just. We were talking, Anthony was talking about it last week too, in terms of who's getting paid now in the major leagues and why, especially offensively. It's like hit it over someone's head. And if you strike out, no one cares that you struck out because you hit it over someone's head 40 times a year. And so the rest doesn't matter. And if you prioritize other skills, like those other guys would get paid and like the yep. game would shift that way. But that's just kind of where it's at, right? Yeah, no, no question about that. And, and it's, again, because there aren't as many guys that have that kind of pop in Japan, it's not going to get there. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the priority has been hitting homers. Everyone's been able to do it recently. Now there's kind of this conspiracy of the dead balls this year. So it'll be interesting to happen with that. But it, again, the game over here is just a little different because the stuff that, that guys throw out now, I mean, man, you can hardly pitch in a bullpen now if you're not 95 plus with something really good to back it up. Like it's crazy. Not only that, not only are the big league staffs full of them, your AAA and AA staffs are full of them too. And then in, yeah. in low A, you got guys throwing 100. They just don't know where it's going yet. Like, it's unbelievable. Why do you think that is, though? Because, like, when we came up, there there was only a handful of dudes that were even sitting 95-plus in college. And I know you can still gain velocity after college. In fact, a lot of people gain a lot of it. But why do you think it is that in the last 10 years, there's just this influx of every every team, every farm system guys throwing 98, 99, 100. It seems I don't I don't really have an explanation for it. What's the deal? I think there are a few different things. One, obviously, you're seeing the bullpens become a priority, right? Where you can make a lot of money as a good reliever now, right? And so it's no longer just command. It's oh, hey, I'm gonna go out and I'm just gonna throw the heck out of it for an inning, right? And and so you get a lot more guys that are doing that now. The game has changed so much as well to where it used to be kind of an East and West game where it was, hey, work in, work out before you had those those damn boxes on TV that told you whether it was a strike or not. If you could prove that you could work one half of the play, you could get a little bit on that half, right? And so command was a little bit more in play. The game is now shifted to being much more north and south where 
so many guys that the four-seam fastball is such a huge weapon now because you can throw it at the top of the zone, and that's where you get swing and miss. Um, that's what I found out last year with the analytics. It's like, okay, when we're throwing fastballs, everybody loves – no matter what pitch you throw, everyone loves swing and miss. That's the best outcome you can have for a pitcher, obviously, right? But with fastballs, where do they get swung and missed at? Well, mo the vast majority of your swing and misses are at the top of the zone. So as a result, with this launch angle as well, the bottom half of the zone on fastballs, nobody's throwing two-seamers down anymore. Like, when you look, you have a few, but very, very few. Like, you have a guy like Kyle Hendricks still doing it, especially coming out of bullpens. You're going to be hard-pressed to find guys that are working a sinker down anymore coming out of a bullpen you might have the odd starter that does it just because it's a little bit more efficient mm -hmm. from a pitch per, uh from a pitch number standpoint coming out of the pen unless it's i don't know alvarado's two-seamer that goes 18 inches of horizontal break and starts on one corner and ends up at the other right like and it's still 98 anyways but but like very few guys are working down in the zone anymore because that's not where the swing and miss is because guys with the launch angle, like the first thing that they figured out is we got to be able to handle the bottom of the zone because that's where everybody used to pitch when we were coming up. When I was coming up, it was, hey, down and away. You got one, you got to be able to throw a two-seamer down and away, and then you got to be able to work the other side of the plate. For me, I had to be able to work the inside part of the plate with my fastball. And everything that I did, do and did was predicated on yeah. how you react to the pitch down and away, how you react to the pitch in. All right, now it's up. And then I'm going to tunnel it with my breaking stuff. And we're going to throw the breaking stuff down below the zone to get swing and miss. And here it comes at 98. And, you know, back to the, the question, I think the training has gotten better. I think the understanding of the biomechanics of pitching over the last few years have, has jumped exponentially. And the sharing of information, whether it's on Instagram with guys like Ryan Cressy or, uh, you know, guys of that nature. Or sorry, not Ryan Cressy, Eric Cressy. Um, you know, and, and he puts all his stuff out there and, and he's got a bunch of guys going to see him and whatnot. And just the the vast amounts of information that you have. And, and again, throwing harder is what gets you drafted. That's what everyone's looking for. No yeah. one's looking for a man guy that's yeah. 88 to 92 anymore. Not in, not in pro ball. Those guys are really successful in college. And I'm not saying that I don't think they can get the job done in pro ball because I think there's still room for them. But that's not what guys are looking for. So what are they looking for? They're looking for 95 plus and you better train that way. I have noticed that though, since pitch FX and Statcast were the box on the screen, right? You see exactly where the ball's thrown. Pitchers, at least to me watching just from my couch, seems like they are getting squeezed on the corners much more. You're not getting that ball outside of the box. But I've seen more strikes at the chest in the last couple of years yeah. than I've ever seen. I remember coming up, it might have been uh, Coach Morehart on the Twisters told me, if the ball's over your belly button, it's a ball, basically, even though, you know, you're always taught in Little League, it's like chest to knees. It's like, no, belly button and up is not a strike. You're looking there and down. And now because of, I think, the advent in, in the stats and showing exactly where the ball's going, it's actually expanded the zone up. And I think what you're saying is that's actually probably to the detriment of those guys that are throwing 90-91, right? Because they're trying to nibble the corners and now they're not getting that spot anymore. Agreed. Yeah. One, I think you hit it right on the head. And that's what I mean by, by the zones gone from east to west to north and south. Yeah. It's gotten bigger up and down. It's gotten smaller in and out. And you're absolutely right. Like, like it's hard now as a guy that throws the ball down because you don't get anything off the corners, despite the fact that you hit that spot consistently. So now you're rewarding guys that crossfire. You know, you might have a guy throwing 98 that's aiming inside and hits, hits away, but because umpires are now taught to call the zone, the zone, he might be aiming down and in and hit up and away and it still strikes. So it still gets called a strike. Whereas you didn't used to get. No, if a, if a catcher had to move their glove, like from the bottom, you know, low and away to catch it yeah. up here, that's a ball every time. At least when I played, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If he set up away and you miss just a couple inches off, but you hit basically where he's at, that's a strike. Yeah. And now change. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I saw one of Jordan Hicks's innings and Yachty was back there. And he, I don't know what it was, 10 or 11 pitches. I mean, this guy didn't come within eight inches of hitting a spot. And it didn't matter because it was 102 with unbelievable life. But like Yachty set up outside and it's barreling down and in. Yachty sets up in and he's yanking a slider away. But it's like two punches, punch outs and a weak ground ball. And it's just because his stuff is so electric. This was before the surgery when he was a reliever. But I was like, geez, well, no wonder, right? Yeah, yeah. Taking the, the pitching process part of it out a little bit where, you know, it's not about establishing a side of the plate and then trying to work off like Glavin used to do or like Maddox used to do. And yeah. I'm not saying that it needs to go back to that or anything like that. It's just how the game's changed. And the game certainly favors the power guys now, and you're seeing more and more of it, and there are more and more guys that can do it. Yep. I couldn't believe how much the game had changed in the three years from when I left to when I came yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, man. So, Klups, I got, like, one more one more question for Andrew, uh, unless you, unless you want to talk any, uh, I was going to talk, I was going to talk any CBL. I feel like we're, we've been having a good conversation. We're already an hour and 20 in. maybe we'll, we'll bring him back in the off season and we can get into the, su- the summer aspect. We've asked this to Anthony and a few other people like best player, whether it was like athletically or just whatever, just blew you away on the field where you're like, Holy shit, that guy's unbelievable. I mean, it's hard to get better than Mike Trout. I, I couldn't believe how big he was when I saw him. I, I had oh, really, went to college with a guy by the name of Colin Cowgill, not a big dude, but about five, nine and pretty well built. And we played the angels. This was, or I, I didn't end up pitching this game, but we, this was in 13, I think. And he was on the angels with trout. And I saw them standing side by side and I just went, Oh my God, <laughs> wider, taller, bigger. I went, Holy, holy crap. Like he is massive. Um, so, I mean, as far as an athlete athlete goes, like it, it's hard to get much better than him. His swing's so compact. Like, there's no holes. He's just really, really good. Hopefully, he can stay healthy for a long time, you know, and 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 produce. And it's nice to see them having a good year. But, I mean, for me, he was, he was one guy that just absolutely blew me away. I mean, obviously, Judge is massive when he gets in the box. Stanton's super strong. Guys like that. You know, those are those are from a hitter's perspective. I'm trying to think of guys from from a pitching perspective. Uh, Verlander. Verlander was pretty unbelievable. I started against him in 13. That was kind of when he was struggling just a little bit like by Verlander standards and was he was that was Tiger still yeah 13 yeah, with the Tiger yeah, yeah actually should have beaten him that 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 start but we ended up losing later my yeah my first three starts were uh James Shields I got Danny Salazar with the Indians who was a prospect at the time but yep. I had Chris Sale and Justin Verlander I was like hey welcome to the show yeah Joe. yeah <laughs> Damn. holy smokes well, look at these schmucks over here yeah. <laughs> i was back when shields was good too right so it was like oh boy jesus um somehow i must have slotted in on that that number one uh the like the opening day guys i was like how did this happen dang <laughs> um but anyways uh so he was really good i'm trying to think uh other than that like seeing some of those guys on the pen edwin diaz's stuff was just holy smokes i was on a different level with seattle but yeah i mean you see a lot of those like like you just see so many great arms now it's it's incredible yep just gonna say played with Acuna in double in triple A and uh he was 19 at the time and it was like okay man this guy's got chance I didn't honestly didn't think he was gonna be as good as he is uh but he just he just rakes he just hits everything it's like okay will he be able to make an adjustment oh yeah there it is no problem holy smoke like it was it was nuts what he did in triple A at 19 he was 18 or 19 I think and he holy he surprises me still he'll hit a slider away that's a foot and a half off the plate 430 to right center I'm like how does he how do you do that? Yeah, I, I, it doesn't I don't make know. any sense. His hand <laughs> is 
unbelievable and the power that he generates because he's not a huge guy like he's 510 maybe 511 not 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 to say he's not strong but not jacked yeah but man does right. he ever create some bat speed it's a question without an answer man you you ask me how a 510 guy could hit a ball like that i'm like 511 <laughs> it's probably my best day 375 <laughs> you know i mean i, I can't tell you either i don't know i have no idea how, i don't know how you guys hit anything ever like i i got to stay hey. in the box a few times in 17 huh Andrew, I, I almost missed this, dude. You're a 1,000 career hitter, man. What are you talking about? You're one for one. <laughs> yeah, did you see the highlight of that hit? I didn't. <laughs> what is it? Oh, well, let, let me tell you about this one. Oh, man. Freaking laser right here. Uh, Fulton Nevich was pitching. Bases were loaded. I'm swinging missing an OO fastball. He gives me another one down and away, and I chop it right into the dirt. Fulty tries to barehand it, hits off his bare hand squibbles into it doesn't even get into the dirt it's short and that's my knock hey that's a thousand <laughs> man that's it best batting average in big league history you got it you got that ball you know what we call that yeah 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 <laughs> it, it's, you know what we call that one line we talked about it last episode it's a line drive in the books but it's just a little duck fart <laughs> in the center. Not even duck fart. i didn't get it off the ground <laughs> probably six inches into the in front of the plate <laughs> doesn't try to barehand it swanson throws me out by 30 feet but oh, that's, that's awesome. incredible that's amazing got got to sack bunt my other two times universal dh is in now never have another at bat probably no matter what happens sitting on that bad boy for for life dude that's yeah that's they can't take that away from me in 1000 no no <laughs> i have the best batting average in big league history there you go that's so good so before we get into our closing segments, the coach's corner and uh, our tales of Hennepin Hall, where are you at now, man? So you, you pitched last year for Seattle, right? Uh, I was with Minnesota Twins last was, year. Hall uh, most of the year and then ended up in uh, Minnesota. So you, you playing anywhere now? You just working out and hoping to get another shot? What's going on? Just working out. I actually, I had agreed to terms with the Mariners uh, in the spring. Unfortunately, the lockout hurt. I ended up on the restricted free agent list, so I wasn't able to negotiate with anybody. Um, so I had agreed to terms with the Mar Mariners actually just before camp started. So I was actually down in Arizona, and we ended up uh, doing some imaging on the elbow and hips, and they saw some things that they weren't very comfortable going forward with, so didn't end up signing. And unfortunately, by that time, it was just too late to get anything done. I ended up going down and getting a second opinion from Dr. Andrews in, in Florida, he said things are probably fine. Like, like, you know, I have some stuff going on in the elbow, but it's like he's nothing I haven't seen before with guys that are playing. So, you know, as long as you can keep your range, you're probably okay. So I shut it down for a little bit, kind of working my way back right now. Probably have to go the indie ball route. You know, the likelihood of actually getting back into affiliated is probably pretty slim. Um, but the WBCs next year would love to play with Team Canada for that. So going to go try to play indie ball somewhere this year and maybe play a little bit of winter ball and, and get ready for that and We'll go from there. If there's no no jobs, uh, nobody coming knocking after that, that'll probably be it. Um, feel pretty fortunate to play as long as I have. I felt old last year coming back. I think the oldest guy we had on our team was uh, three years younger than me, and I think I played against one guy in the minors that was older than me, and it was uh, Stephen Wright, the knuckleballer. So I oh, yeah. feel pretty good to play until I was 36, and it's like if it's over, it's over. But, you know, we'll give her one last go and see what happens. I mean, dude, you can see what I still cling to. So this is what I've got. you got, hey, you got way more than that. <laughs> The twisters. I still got the bat from that year. I got a I got a bat from from the club that year for I don't know what it was, but you're probably team MVP. That's probably what no. It. I don't think maybe maybe pitcher of the year or something for for the club, but yeah, they gave me a bat, which is an ironic uh, gift for the pitcher of the year that <laughs> I've never gotten to use. So Andrew, I don't actually remember playing or hitting against you, but I was playing for Pittsfield, 
and you know the sun delay field, yeah. which is probably that's that's for another day itself. Well, what the fuck? Echeverria, the one night I'll never forget this. Literally wore one in the chest before they called it. And I was Dude, like, oh my you're, God. I forgot about that. Yeah, our catcher just straight yeah, into the chest. Like, I, it may have been Zide throwing. I think it was Josh Zide that was throwing. Another big um, leaguer. And, yeah, which that one shocked me in as well. He kind of disappeared, and then all of a sudden he was in the bigs. I was like, holy smokes, good for him. Yeah. I think we played one night in there, and I'll, like I said, Echeverry literally wore one off the chest protector before they call it, and it was like, holy jeez. I don't know if I ever pitched in Pittsfield. Yeah, for the listeners, Wakona Field, which is a really old field. It, I think like the Cubs single or double A, I don't know. So it's like a really old field, but they built it ass backwards where – the sun would set in center field with no barrier whatsoever, and you'd have a 25 to 30 minute sun delay at the discretion of the umpire. So a hitter would be up there, and like Andrew would be up there pitching, just throwing nasty shit, and you're blind. You could take one to the face and be like, I, or, I never or even the saw catcher. it, now I'm dead. <laughs> yes. Or the catcher. And then the umpires would be like, oh, we should probably have the sun delay. And everyone would just go chill in like the fourth inning. And they would play minutes. Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles on repeat over the PA. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Like you'd have no rhythm. Imagine being oh, a starting pitcher and you'd be like, well, I'm taking a 25-minute break. Yeah, it's like a rain delay. Like you're done. Crazy. Every home. Yeah, that place is the worst. Yeah, that couldn't have been playing. <laughs> well, listen, man. Good, good luck. Uh, ho- hope you catch on. But, you know, at minimum – Stay ready for that WBC. We'll be watching you there. Appreciate it, man. Hey, great talking to you guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks, man. It was great to see you. Great catching up. Best of luck. You bet. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. All right, man. Thank you. Really appreciate it. All right, Chris. So Coach's Corner, you know, good conversation there with uh, with Andrew. But Coach's Corner this week, it was one that we had Coach Pierce, who was an assistant, one of our many, as we always remembered. But it, it made me think of it the other day when I was watching an old story about the Astros and their cheating scandal yep. and stealing signs. And I thought about Coach Pierce and how he literally would stand at first base as a first base coach for us. And he would tell us, hey, if I get the signs, guys, I'm going to yell your, your last name for a fastball or your number for an off speed. But he wouldn't fucking say anything <laughs> else. And he'd be standing basically on the field with sunglasses, a hat. And pure silence until he would catch the signs. The most blatantly obvious sign stealing yeah. of all time. He'd be over there and be like, Willis, 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 Willis. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, here comes a fastball. <laughs> just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I don't know if they caught on, but I felt like he just stole the signs. All the time. Day. And like, to your point, there's what, 50, 100 people at some of these games. So dead silent. And just, Jake, Jake, Jake. <laughs> Curveball. I lo- when he would finally catch on, like, get, he'd be like, 25, 25, here we go, 25, 25, 25. And it's like, here comes a slow curveball. And I'm like, sitting back, obviously knowing it's coming. Like, thanks, Coach Pierce. So quick, yeah, I remember that. And quick aside on Coach Pierce, we talked about Scott last week with the BP. Pierce was maybe worse than Bill Scott, or better, how you, depending on how you look at it. But he threw as over the top as you could possibly throw. Like arms straight up and just yep. straight down like a pendulum. And he would just throw BP pitches just into the dirt constantly, just like spiking them before the plate. And you'd be sitting up there like waiting for a ball, just actually that's, you know, elevated and over the plate. I remember one day he threw like six or seven in a row. We had to go to the bullpen. McCauley came in and like relieved him. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe he was just practicing what Andrew was just talking about, you know, like keeping the ball right. down. 
he was just trying to play into our swing. I yeah. don't know, but dude, good guy as well. Great sign stealer for us. God knows if the other teams caught on, but fucking yeah, that was, was good. Awesome. All right, let's parlay that into Hennepin Hall. You you reminded me of this one, and this one's up my alley because it's got a little gambling component to it. So I always loved it on our spring trips, as we talked about last week with Anthony. Some weeks, some trips we would drive down from Albany to wherever the hell we were going. It could be Albany to Arkansas and get in a freaking Daco bus and drive 36 hours, get off and play the game. <laughs> but one trip per year, you know, we got lucky and got to fly. And anytime we would fly, obviously we're checking our, our big bags. We all got our carry on, but all our baseball stuff is checked. So we'd all get to baggage claim after we'd land and we'd throw two bucks per person into the pot. And whoever's bag came out of that baggage claim first got the money. So, you know, there's 25 of us, about 50 bucks in the pot. And I vivid memories of just seeing that first green bag trickle through. We'd all sprint towards it, rip it off, see which number it was. And it was like you won the World Series if you if if it was your bet. Yep. Yeah. Let's go! Everyone, you got you got twenty five to thirty teenagers to early twenty year olds in an airport of people. It could have yeah. been midnight. It could have been a family with a little baby, and we're just barreling our way. Let's fucking go! Who got it? Just and holding it up like like fucking. Like Lion King, like 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 a belt, like in wrestling, or like Lion King. Like I won it once, I remember, and it just like one of the better moments of my college career. Like whoever was holding the money just threw it in my hand. Fifty bucks, you know, back then that was something. You don't just stumble upon fifty dollars in college unless you were a tutor like you and me. (laughs) Tutor, yeah, that too. I mean, I mean that fifty dollars you could have bought at least two or three DVDs of some good good maybe 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 an iPod Shuffle or something like that. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god the shit we waste our money on seriously dollars alcohol dvds and maybe that's an ipod it. shuffle that's it i don't know what else i spent money on in college gas no, genoa subs at near the siena siena campus yeah that was pretty much it episode seven's in the books man we'll get this thing uh edited up and we'll get it posted here in a few days yeah, and listen, a reminder, if you guys are liking this, subscribe, Apple, Spotify, give us a give us a five-star rating and maybe a little review. We're trying to get this thing on the map. Following's growing a little bit, and we got more entertaining and interesting guests on deck, and that's not going to stop. We're going to keep this thing going. Let's go, man. Beer Bowl's back next week. Can't wait to figure out what it's going to be. The Steiny bottle that you just showed me with the banquet beer got me thinking, so yeah. look, at that little, look at that little fucking chode. Beautiful. (laughs) The banquet beer. (laughs) On that note, till next time. See ya.